As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible, open it up. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, and then we'll be in Luke chapter 4 today. Let me ask you this question starting off. What are your temptation hotspots? What really tempts you? Uh, for some of you men, it might be a trip, trip to Cabela's. I know for me that that's true. I was uh, there not long ago, and I came across a kayak. I've never in my life thought about buying a kayak, but that was the most beautiful kayak in the world. I thought, man, I need this kayak. Who cares what it costs? Think about the family fun and the adventure. I mean, I can put that in the pool and go kayaking in the pool, and it, it'll be greatness. Uh, it, was, it was temptation to me. No, I didn't buy the kayak yet, but, you know, I was tempted. Uh, for some of you ladies, temptation might be just a moment where you don't have to worry about the kids. And so you go to the beach, and you're like, all right, I've, I've got this great book. Hey, kids, y'all go play in the ocean. Have fun. Oh, is that a shark? Oh, don't worry about it. They'll be okay. You know, you're, you're tempted. So uh, whether it's the smell of Rudy's brisket next door to Cabela's or uh, whether it's the Bluebell mystery flavor of the week, we all, from time to time, find ourselves facing temptation. Do you remember the time that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray? And he gave for them the Lord's Prayer. He said uh, in Matthew 6 and verse 9, Therefore you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And then there's verse 13. How does verse 13 go? Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom. I won't sing the whole thing. And the power. That's where it gets fun at the glory. And the glory. I can't go any higher. I can't. Forever. Amen. I'm not a music major, Paul. I'm sorry, man. So, uh, I don't know where that came from, but anyway. It's interesting to me that Jesus asked God, do not bring us into temptation. It reminds me of the prayer that he had in the Garden of Gethsemane whenever he prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible with you. Take this cup from me. It was a sincere prayer of the heart. Lord, do not lead us into temptation. But then there is that conjuncting word, but. But deliver us from the evil one. In other words, uh, we don't want to run towards temptation, but when we do find ourselves facing temptation, we pray that the Lord will deliver us from the evil one. And so there's, quick, there's three quick lessons here. Number one, uh, we should run from temptation rather than to it. It is not a sin for you and me to be tempted, but temptation can often lead us to things which are sin. And it's important when it comes to temptation to use your brain. Know those areas in your life where you're weak. Know those areas where you struggle and use some common sense and don't run towards temptation. If you struggle with a gambling addiction, 
then a vacation to Vegas is probably not a good idea. Okay? Don't run towards temptation. Secondly, in a fallen world, there will be times where you are tempted to turn to your own way and turn away from God. But thirdly, we must realize that temptation to do wrong comes from the evil one, but deliverance to do the right thing comes from God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, there's a verse that probably needs to be highlighted in all of our Bibles. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful, and He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation, He will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. Now, when it comes to temptation, I've observed within just society in general that we often have two extreme positions when it comes to how to deal with temptation. One is the conservative solution. And since this is a a Baptist church in Murphy, Texas, I'm guessing a lot of y'all kind of fall into that camp, okay? Uh, The conservative solution says when it comes to temptation, just stop it. Just don't do it. Don't go there. Hey, it's dumb for you to do that, so don't go down that path. The more liberal solution says, well, uh, just don't worry so much. Just be happy. Follow your heart. It's your life. Be who you want to be. Just, just go with it. Now, the problem with the don't worry, be happy solution is that your life affects other people. None of us live on Gilligan's Island. There are people in your life that are counting on you. And whenever you succumb to temptation to do the wrong thing, and and by the way, there is such a thing as right and wrong, okay? And whenever you succumb to temptation to do the wrong thing, it hurts people. And usually the people that it hurts are the people that you love the most. Selfishness doesn't bring you happiness. Selfishness eventually brings you to isolation. Nobody says at their wedding, the reason why I fell in love with you is because you're just such a selfish person. And I was attracted to that from the moment that I saw it within you. I mean, selfishness doesn't bring people together. It isolates people. It draws people away from one another. Now, the problem with the just stop it, quit doing that solution is that the devil doesn't play fair. The devil's always trying to change the rules. I have uh, a six-year-old daughter, and the other day we were out in the backyard playing this soccer game that we've made up where if you make a goal from this place, you get one point. If you go further back, it's two, three. She kept changing the rules all the time on me. I began to realize there is no way I'm going to win this soccer game because the rules kept changing literally beneath my feet, and sure enough, she won. Well, the devil doesn't play by the rules. The devil lies. Uh, John eight forty four, Jesus talking about the devil. He says that whenever the devil tells a lie, he is speaking from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of liars. It is his native language. Just like I'm speaking to you right now in the language of Texan, the devil 
whenever he speaks, he speaks in lies. He also looks for the weaknesses in your life and mine. Ephesians 4.27 talks about how the devil tries to get a foothold, just a little crack in your life, and he attacks you, he tempts you when you're hurt, whenever you are sick, whenever you are stressed out, after you've had a, a relational fight, he attacks you whenever your heart is empty, whenever your bank account is stressed, when the kids just won't stop talking, whenever you find yourself in those weak moments, that's whenever the devil tries to get a foothold and tempt you to go in directions that are not pleasing to God. We see this in Jesus' life. It was whenever he was weak, whenever he was hungry, whenever he was tired that the devil tried to tempt him. So look with me to Luke chapter 4. We are in the process as a church of working our way through the gospel of Luke. We do something really radical around here on Sundays. Uh, We read the Bible and we try to find out what it means, okay? But in Luke chapter 4 and verse 1, the scriptures say, Then Jesus returned from Jordan, full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those 40 days, and when they were over, he was hungry. Kind of stating the obvious, you know. He ate nothing for 40 days, and whenever they were over, he was hungry. Now, you need a little bit of the backstory, and if you were here last week, you'll remember that we talked about the baptism of Jesus. And that was an incredible spiritual moment in his life and for many. Whenever he was baptized, the Scriptures say that the Holy Spirit descended from heaven in the form of a dove and landed upon Jesus. And you heard the voice of God the Father from heaven saying, This is my Son in in whom I take delight. And so you had this wonderful moment in Scripture where you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all appearing together. It was a climactic moment. It was the inauguration of what would become the ministry of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit was on Jesus in a very, very special way. And then right after the cool, refreshing scene of the baptism, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus. And notice it's the Spirit that leads Jesus where? Out into the wilderness. And so there is this divine contrast that the Holy Spirit paints for us here on the canvas of Scripture. You have the refreshing water, and it's contrasted by the dry wilderness. You have the community of believers that were gathered around John the Baptist and the message of hope, and that's contrasted by the loneliness of Jesus by himself in the wilderness. You have the innocence of the dove coming down from heaven, contrasted by the wild animals that roamed the wilderness. You have the divinity of Jesus seen so readily at his baptism, contrasted by his humanity. He did not eat, and he was hungry. You have the goodness of Jesus contrasted by the darkness and the evil of Satan. You go back to Genesis, and you have Adam facing temptation and his failure contrasted by Jesus' success. You have Noah's 40 days of rain contrasted by Jesus' 40 days of dryness. You have Israel's 40 years of wandering contrasted by Jesus' 40 days of obedience. Now, I want you to note, and we're going to come back to this idea, that God was with Jesus just as much 
in the loneliness of the wilderness as he was in the waters of the baptism. And so let me ask you this question. In your own spiritual life, and we're all at different points in the journey, but as you come here today, in your spiritual journey, are you in the baptism scene or are you in the hot and dusty days of the wilderness? Do you find yourself spiritually in one of those seasons where everything comes easy? Or spiritually right now, are you in a season where everything is difficult and things are dry? Students, you just got back from camp. and Two of you became new believers in Christ. Fourteen of you recommitted your life to Christ. I would imagine that virtually all of you took steps towards God in your spiritual journey. I was told that uh, our students right now are a very close group. And in those camp moments, you often hear the voice of God speaking to your heart. I know because of my own life, I I also experienced that. I, I heard the voice of God speaking to me often at camp, and they were very... Those days at camp were very impactful to who I am today. But then you come home and things change. School starts and suddenly uh, following God gets harder. Suddenly Satan begins throwing temptation across your path and it seems like it's, it's harder to hear the voice of God and it seems like spiritual growth is, is more difficult. There are times in our journey where it's easy, and then there's times in our spiritual journey where it's difficult. But in both the baptism and the wilderness, God's Spirit is with us. And in both of those seasons, there are opportunities for growth. One of the things that I I love about Jesus is that He was 100% God, but He was also 100% human. And as a human being, Jesus knows the temptation that we deal with. God is not a detached deity. He lived among us. And so in in verse 3, we see the passage that is normally called the temptation of Jesus. So in verse 3, the scriptures say, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, it is written, man must not live on bread alone. So he took him up, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he took him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. How the devil's quoting Scripture. He will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not test the Lord your God. And after the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. So three times here in the story, you see Jesus facing temptation. And three times, 
he finds God's deliverance from temptation. And so today, I, I want to give you three is-it questions that you can ask whenever you find yourself in a season of temptation. The first question is, is it written? Every time that Jesus was tempted, he replaced the lie of the devil with the truth of God. And so he would respond to the temptation with, this is what the Bible says. It is written. Uh, The Scriptures are our guide. If the Scriptures speak to a subject and the Bible says, hey, hey, this is good, this is pleasing to God, then you and I have a, a green light to go that direction. If the Scripture says, thou shalt not, the thou shalt not is not in there to ruin your happiness or to uh, keep you from experiencing everything you want to experience. The thou shalt not is there because it's a red light. If you go down that path, the Bible has said to you, uh, it's going to hurt you and it's going to hurt others around you. Some of us are dealing with major decisions right now in our lives. It might be a relational decision. Do I stay in this marriage or do I leave? Do I continue to be a father to my kids? Or do I go my own way? A financial decision, a family decision, a career decision, an education decision. We have choices. And I'm often amazed at how often Christian people, people that come to church most weeks, will face major decisions without ever asking the question, what does the Bible say? We'll Google it. We'll Yelp it. We'll ask friends about it. But we never really ask ourselves the question, what what does the Bible say? Some of the worst advice that people can give you is advice that is very common. That advice that just says, just go with your heart. If it feels right, just go for it. Hey, God just wants you to be happy, so just just pursue that. Because there's there's a lot there's a lot of things that our heart says, this is what I want, but if you go that direction, uh, it's not the best choice for you. There's a lot of danger involved with it. Uh, next month, once a year, I, I go backpacking with a, a group of friends. And so uh, we, we like to go out in the wilderness where there's no tourists and just kind of be alone, just man week, eat food out of a bag and sleep on the ground. It's wonderful. Uh, and, and I could just imagine being out in, in the mountains and just deciding, you know what, I'm just going to go with my heart here. Hey, wherever I go, that's where I'm going to go. It looks pretty over here. Hey, I think I'll, I'll go over here, and I think I'll explore this. Hey, this stream looks real clean. I think I'll just get a drink of water out of it. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to go with my heart. You know, I know they say that you need to be careful with the water in the wilderness, but, you know, it looks clean to me. I'll, I'll, I'll just go with my heart and do whatever I want. Uh, if I just followed my own whims in the wilderness, eventually the sun's going to go down. Eventually it's going to get be 30 degrees out. Eventually, I'm going to find myself sick. I might find myself lost. I might find myself in danger. What we need is we need a trail. We need a map. We need places that, that, that we know, we, we've mapped out and we plan that, that we are going. And the same thing is true in our spiritual journey. God has given us uh, His Word. And, and in His Word, we, we have the trail. In His Word, we have the compass. In His Word, we have the map. In His Word, He gives us directional signs. This is a good direction for you to go. This 
there's bears that way. You don't want to go that way. You know, he, he gives us directions, and he even gives us a, a trail guide, the Holy Spirit, that speaks to our heart and leads us down the paths of righteousness. Whenever you're facing temptation, the first thing that you need to ask yourself is, is it written? Has God spoken on this subject? And if God has spoken on that subject, be obedient to the Word of God. Now, there's a second question that we can ask, and that is the question of, is it worship? In the second temptation of Jesus, you find that Satan's goal was to get him to worship the wrong things. Satan tempts him with all the temporal things that were there in the world, and then he tells a lie and says, basically, I'm in control of all this and I can give it to you. Satan tempts him by saying, hey, why don't you worship me rather than your heavenly Father? And Jesus responds in verse 8, he says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That word worship is a song, uh, a word, I should say, that we often have minimized in our understanding and definition of. Uh, Worship is more than just a song. Uh, Whenever we sing, we are worshiping God. But the word worship is a lot broader than just music. Uh, Worship also involves prayer. It involves uh, the basics of Christianity, salvation. Worship ultimately involves me bringing glory to God as opposed to me bringing glory to myself. It involves me bringing God His worth. And worship becomes one of those all-encompassing words. It's kind of an umbrella uh, term in Christianity because in, in everything that I do, I have the opportunity to worship. You can be a worshiper in your career. You can be a worshiper in your parenting, in the way in which you relate to your parents. You can be a worshiper in your schoolwork. Uh, am I, by my actions, my attitudes, my, my words, am I bringing glory to God or am I seeking to bring glory to myself and, and move away from God? Worship is something that ought to invade every area of our life because our desire as Christians is to bring glory to God in everything. Sin occurs when we start worshiping the wrong things. Now, a lot of times whenever it comes to sin, we often, we often kind of want to reduce it to a list. Okay, here's my list of sins. And if you're really organized and you have your list highlighted, uh, you know, I have my red, I have the red sins. I never do these things, but these are the really bad ones. And then you have the orange sins that other people do and that are a little less bad. And then you have the green sins, and those are the ones that you do. And you kind of have your list of sins that, that this, this is what is wrong. Well, sin is actually more than just a, a list of things. Sin is ultimately, uh, it begins with an attitude in your heart that I am turning to my own way as opposed to God's way. Ultimately, I'm going to be God, and I'm going to worship the things that I want as opposed to worshiping God in all things. And as we turn to our own way and we start worshiping things that aren't God, worshiping things that don't last, often worshiping things that don't really matter, we find ourselves falling into sin. And so we start worshiping things like money, Sex, pleasure, uh, even good things we can worship. And whenever we start worshiping 
good things as God, uh, we turn them into idols. We, we can worship our families. Family is God's idea. When you go all the way back to the early pages of Genesis, you have God establishing marriage, you have God establishing sexuality, you have God establishing gender, and you have God establishing family. Page one truths of, Christian, of a Christian faith, foundational. So family is God's idea, but we can start worshiping family so that it becomes more important than God. We started falling down the wrong path. Spiritual growth happens when we learn to worship God in all things, and we turn to God rather than ourselves in the face of temptation. Now, there's a third question, and that is, is it on God's agenda? Is it written? Is it worship? Is it on God's agenda? Question for you, could Jesus have turned the stones to bread? Could he do that? Could Jesus have jumped off the temple and floated down like Superman? Yeah, he's the son of God. Could Jesus have formed an earthly kingdom and reigned over all the world? Yeah, in fact, all through his ministry, people were trying to get him to form that kind of earthly kingdom, and one day he will. Then why didn't he at this time? Why didn't he do all those things? He could do them. Why, why didn't he do all those things? Because it wasn't on God's agenda. God's agenda for Jesus at this point was to come, be the Savior of the world, to seek and to save those who are spiritually lost. Now, this is one of those things that it's taken me a while to reach this conclusion, but now that I'm in my advanced age, the 830 service really laughed whenever I said that. Y'all are like, get off the stage, you old coot, you know. Uh, but I've, I've come to the realization that it's impossible for us to experience everything that life has to offer. I mean, I, I want to live life to the fullest, but I can't. There, there's too much to experience. I can't live in every culture. I can't uh, experience every everything there is out there to experience in life. There are always lots of opportunities, but you have to trust God to show you which ones are His opportunities for you. Now, where this really begins to land is you have to live the life that God has blessed you with. You can't live anybody else's life. And the further you go in life, sometimes uh, whenever you're at the student's age, you, you look and you have all these different opportunities. I can be this, I can be this, I can be this. I, I can date this person, this person, this person, this person, this person, this person, then start again tomorrow. You know, and, and I have all these opportunities ahead of me. But, but then as you go down the path, uh, you begin seeing this is God's will for me here. And okay, this is, this is my spouse. So I've, I've married this person. What that means is I'm not married to anybody else. I don't want anybody else's marriage because this is my marriage. God, God blesses you with children. There's 8 billion people on the planet, but God blesses you with one, two, three, four kids, and, and you have these kids, and, and you think, these are my kids. This is what God has blessed me with. I, I don't want anybody else's family, no matter how beautiful they look on Facebook. I want my family, because this is the family 
that, that God has blessed me with. And, and this is the ministry that God has given me. And we have to be committed to what God brings into your life. And you have to learn to say yes to those things that God has blessed you with. And in saying yes to those things, it also requires that you learn to say no to those things that are not on God's agenda. There are some things in, in the world that they're not bad. They're just not yours. But if you spend all your days coveting things that aren't yours, will never be yours, you've already made choices that eliminate that, you're going to be miserable. And you're going to find yourself falling into the temptation to want to be somebody else, to want to live another life through the Internet or whatever it might be, instead of really living the life that God has given you. Well, I'm, I'm not an overly emotional person. I, I don't cry very often. I, I sometimes wish I did cry more often, but uh, I don't. Uh, and I, I try to be rather even keel in life. But whenever I feel things, one of the ways that I've um, learned to express my emotion is through writing. And so uh, a lot of times in my morning devotion time, I'll uh, be reading a passage of Scripture, and I'll begin having a thought, and I'll just try to write. And there was a time where I was reading through this passage of Scripture, and I wrote something called The Divine Contrast. And as we close today, I, I want to read it to you and share it with you. Uh, if you like it and you want to read it more, I'll, I'll put this online this week. It'll be at my, my website, lashbanks.com. You can come there, read it, buy yourself a coffee mug t-shirt that says make the church great again you know things like that uh if if the servers are down it's just because there's so much traffic there you know you and five other people are on there at that time it's crazy but um anyhow um it's called called the divine contrast in each of our lives the brushstrokes of god reveal the masterpiece of divine contrast Carefully, he blends the cool, refreshing blues of the baptism with the warm, arid hues of the wilderness. Whether in the refreshment of baptism or the dryness of the wilderness, two things about Jesus were apparent, his obedience and his humility. When we are in the cool waters of baptism, it is easy to get puffed up in pride, to believe that God's blessings are a result of our goodness rather than his grace to shift our focus from His will to ours. It is in the cool waters of baptism that the compassionate heart is tempted to fill with judgment. Relationship yields to ritual and exhorting words can be replaced with venomous words. And the life of missional risk fades to an apathetic life lived in spiritual opulence. Yet those that find themselves in the wilderness... Do not escape the piercing rays of temptation themselves. It is in the wilderness that we are tempted to lose sight of grace, obedience, and love. And when we succumb to the wilderness, temptation, we sleep in darkness, replacing grace with doubt, obedience with rebellion, and love with fear. Beneath the wilderness stars, we are tempted to show our dissatisfaction with God by embracing a life of self-sufficiency. We forget that the church is God's gift of community 
and we bathe in the mirage of isolated loneliness, believing that the path to living water belongs to others. Yet, when we remember the humility and obedience of our Savior, that is when the refreshing waters of baptism open the floodgates of heaven. When we remember the humility and obedience of our Savior, that is when we live our lives in the rhythm of the Father's will. That is when we swim in the flow of the Spirit's current. The cool, refreshing blues of baptism restore our soul, announce new chapters, submerge us to new depths, and carve for us a path of purpose. And when we remember the humility and obedience of our Savior, the divine contrast of the wilderness becomes a tranquil spring of growth for our soul. When we remember the humility and obedience of our Savior, that is when we march through the treacherous days beneath the cadence of our Father's instruction. The warm, arid hue of the wilderness stretches our soul, burns the Master's mark into the plot of our lives, bends our will, and prepares our heart for the day when the dryness of the wilderness becomes the floor of the refreshing river from which we emerge a humble and obedient child of the Father with a soul that dances to the rhythm of the divine contrast. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads in prayer. The musicians are going to come, and we come now to a time in the service that we call the time of commitment. And with your head bowed, I just want to ask you this question. Right now, are you in a season where it's easy? Are you in a season where it's difficult? Do you identify with the baptism scene or do you find yourself in the wilderness scene? I want you to know that God is with you in both. And in both the baptism scene and the wilderness scene, God desires from you humility and obedience. And when you put on humility and you put on obedience, then you put on the robe of Christ and you walk like Christ in your life. And so I want to ask you this, whichever stage that you are in right now, will you? Will you go through that stage with humility towards God and obedience towards God? Because I believe God has great things in store for your life. I believe He wants to use you for His glory. And He's looking for a heart that bows humbly before Him and walks obediently down the path that He lays out for you. Live your life. Live your life to the fullest. Be the person that God has called you to be. In everything that you do, seek to bring glory to His name. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your path. Father, we thank You for Your goodness towards us. We pray that we might respond with humility and obedience towards You. Thank You, Lord, for the truth that we've seen today nestled in Scripture. We pray, Lord, that it might be lived out in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray and worship. Amen.